Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, hi, I'm Bill, and we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We pay our respects to the elders past and present. We acknowledge that this land was stolen, that sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on The Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, today I'd like to welcome Alison to the show. Hi Alison. Oh, hi Bill. Um, Alison's a compulsive gambler who's recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Um, so Alison, we usually talk um, initially about you know, growing up and the things that influenced you to take the path you took. Uh, I guess I'd like to acknowledge also that this is the second time you've been on the program. You came on in, I think it was February 2019, before COVID struck. So we'll probably touch on a bit of the, a few of the changes in uh, in the GA fellowship that have occurred since that time as well. So do you want to start by just talking about, you know, your, your family life growing up and, and how you took the direction you took? Okay, thanks, Bill. Uh, thanks for having me, Bill. It's terrific to be here. Um, you know, I, I, when I look back on my childhood, I, I thought it was fairly normal, I guess, a, a fairly large family, working class. Um, but, you know, I look back now and I think there was you know, a fair bit of dysfunction in, in our family. My father was a big drinker. Uh, actually, the whole street we lived in, was, uh, had a lot of big drinkers and gambling to an extent was normalised. Uh, there was always a lot, of, a lot of talk around, you know, getting um, your tax lotto tickets on and um, one of my uncles was a big uh, follower of the horse racing and we played cards for money from quite a young age. Um, not huge amounts of money, but um, like I said, gambling was kind of just a normal part of our everyday uh, life. Um, in my family, there is a history of addiction. I have a, my father was an alcoholic. My younger brother was an alcoholic. Um, he was part of the AA program and he's been in recovery now for 13 years, which is so proud of him. And, you know... My younger sister was a heroin addict and I became a gambling addict. And, I mean, I don't know whether it really had anything to do with how I was brought up or, you know, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. So just interesting to note that your um, siblings all had similar problems. So who got into recovery first, you or your brother? Uh, My brother. Okay. Yeah. Did that help you? get into recovery the strange thing is no um and yet when he was in early recovery uh he had issues with his partner so he lived with me 
I was, I think, just caught up with my own children and my job. I actually, I feel a bit bad that I didn't pay more attention to his early recovery. Um, and no, it didn't prompt me to seek out Gamblers Anonymous. Yeah. Um, should have, but it didn't. <laughs> but I guess that's the thing because you don't acknowledge the problem until it becomes a problem. You know, other people might be able to see it, but if you don't see it, you don't think you need help. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely think that's true. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, my my mum still goes to the pokies. Um, and, you know, I've had to have a conversation with her about, Mum, I can't, I can't do that now. Um, I, and I honestly do think it is a problem for her, but she's not interested in seeking any kind of help or so. That's mm. her yeah, her thing, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, I guess that's the good thing about recovery is that it's individual-based. Yeah. Um, you know, my, I got into recovery in my early 20s and my mum um, chose to keep living with an active alcoholic for another 25 years until he died. And to me that was inconceivable, mm-hmm. but she wouldn't hear of doing anything about it. That wasn't, that wasn't what her generation did. Yeah. 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 Yes, and uh, yes, I think it is a generational thing. I think we have it in our minds that you you can't ask for help. That's not the Australian way. You you suck it up and you move on and you toughen up and mm. you know you get on with life. You don't dwell on um, problems, and that in itself, I think, is a problem. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, um, what about growing up? Did you did you feel you had a normal childhood? You know, ease of making friends and just generally being a a, a, a child and youth. Yes and no. Um, I think when you're young, things seem normal, and you look back and you realise that they weren't. My my mum had uh, bipolar, um, and she spent a lot of time in uh, institutions, um, and we often went to me and my older brother went to an orphanage and, you know, my younger brothers would go with friends. It's hard for someone to take four four young kids on. So, yeah. um, But I did go into foster care every now and then when she was doing long stints. But that's your normal. That's I didn't think it was that strange. It's strange that I didn't think it was strange, but yeah. um, I don't know. We seemed happy. Just yeah. We still went on camping holidays and had nice Christmases and... I enjoyed school and had lots of friends in our street. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's been a lot of, um, I guess, negative press about institutions. So did you – what was your experience in that way? Oh, Look, I think once I became maybe 11 or 12, I wouldn't talk about my mum's mental illness. I certainly wouldn't talk about my dad's drinking. Um, so somewhere in the back of my mind, it, I started to understand that that is it wasn't other people's experience, and people might may judge me yeah. by that. Um, and I have in my mind, and I can't remember exactly what happened, but I do remember saying, "You know, your mum's a lunatic," or 
she's crazy or and that's kind of talk. Mm. So I must have talked about it openly and then people maybe have said things and I've gone, well, no, I can't talk about that. And it did lead me to be a bit secretive, which I think fed into my not people not knowing about my gambling. I was good at yeah. hiding things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or keeping that part of, you know, like having this secretive part of my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is not healthy. <laughs> no. No. I, I think it, it stems from families. It's um, I, I believe that alcoholic families breed alcoholic personalities, whether you're an alcoholic or whether you try and control other people. It's that... Um, having two sets of rules, one set of public rules and one set of private rules, and yes. they're incompatible, that you, yes. what you can talk about and what you can't, and it's very confusing for kids, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, yeah, we, we don't really understand it, and mental illness had such a stigma back mm. then. Funnily enough, alcohol, drinking a lot didn't seem to have a stigma at all. That was no. Everyone was drinking too much. <laughs> that was normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. S- smoking in the house and doing all sorts of things that we look back in horror. Yeah. Um, but, yes, mental illness was something altogether different. And funnily enough, you have no control over that. No. So no. you would think it would be opposite. Your yeah. logic would tell you my mum could not control her mental illness. She had a legitimate, mm. you know, health issue. Yeah. Um, but that was something to be ashamed of. But drinking in excess and being drunk all the time and driving and other things yeah. and with little kids around is fine. Yep. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so do you want to talk about gambling influences in your family growing up? So what what sort of gambling was happening and what was your exposure? Uh, look, it was so many things. Uh, I touched on it a little earlier about the whole tax lotto thing and um, there was all, always a big thing about it being, you know, when the numbers were drawn on tally that everyone got their tickets out and, you know, you were madly circling your numbers. Yeah. And people would talk about it, like what they were going to do when they won all of this money. Like this yeah. was just, you know, big topics of conversation. And it seems innocent enough, but, you know, it is gambling. Um, and like I said, playing cards for money. And I remember that from a very, very young age... Like I said, not for sheep stations, but still it was, I don't know, almost like you were getting something for nothing. It was easy money. You didn't have mm. to actually work for it. It was fun and you were getting money. So mm. that's got to be good. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be a good thing. And I had an uncle, he's, he's since passed, but I loved him. I adored him. I thought he was the best person in the world. Um, but he was a big gambler uh, with horse racing. Um, and again, there was a, this sense of excitement or winning money and somehow it was better to win it than earn it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether More intellectual. That... <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and my mum played bingo. I remember going to bingo with my mum when I was quite young. Again, it was social and it was fun. And I remember my mum and her friends organising, you know, the big, you know, weekend with the bus trips over to New South Wales mm. to, to go to the pokies. You know, this was all fun activities. Yeah, that's this right. Was, this, yeah. Was, this was um, yeah. normal social. <laughs> yeah, this is all the fun stuff in life. Gambling, <laughs> drinking. Yeah. Yes. My dad was a gambler but not a problem gambler, um, which was lucky. Um, mm. But my mum was very much a 
Tats ticket, Tats lotto. She'd buy my children Tats scratchy things, which just... Yeah. (sighs) We tried to play down a lot. And and my daughter initially got involved in... She wanted to bet on the Melbourne Cup and things. And so we... We'd, we'd do the bet rather than the TAB and we'd cover the whatever. And she almost always lost. But it was that sort of thing that, that when it's um, available and, and in your normal space, it yeah. is normalised. Yeah. And, and you sort of think that's, that's normal. You don't question it. No, no. Yeah. I never questioned. Um, and I think, you know, when I think about it now, it's that it was like money for nothing. Mm. And that sense that, you know, if you had this money, that somehow life would be so much better. Um, Was life terrible then or not? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. You know, the more you think about it, the more strange it sounds um, that it can be like that. Because, you know, as as an adult and uh, a gambling addict in recovery... You know, the things that bring you real joy and real happiness in your life have nothing to do with money, certainly have nothing to do with gambling or yep. drinking. Yep. Um, it's just being with those that you love and in going to the park. That doesn't cost yep. anything. No. Um, but I wasn't taught those things. <laughs> no, of. no. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so I guess getting back, so did any of your friends gamble as well? when you When you started to gamble... Did you, you did it, I guess, initially with your family, but did it ex, ex, extend to your friends? Uh, it did at the start. Yep. At the beginning, um, <clears throat> we'd often meet up, uh, you know, we'd go to a, uh, a bistro uh, for dinner and meet up with friends. And then, you know, sometimes the boys would go into the sports bar and, you know, they'd be watching, catching up on the footy or whatever, and mm. us girls would go, oh, not just the girls, I shouldn't say that, because mm. that's not true. And some of the, the guys as well would go into the uh, into the pokies, yep. and again it was just a bit of fun. You're not losing, you know, lots of money. Um, so yes, but we didn't. Uh, after that, I think that's sort of what got me interested in it, or realised that I liked it, because mm. um, I think I did have a, a few small wins, and it was all very exciting. Um, and then it turned into something different. Mm. Did um, you feel lucky? Did you feel like you were special that you won or not? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I'm good at this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's got to be something special about me if I can get these things to pay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just, it's, it is a strange sensation, but you do definitely get uh, a, a bit of a rush. Uh, and I guess it's that dopamine hit um, when you have a bit of a win. Um, and what's interesting about that too is sometimes you're not even winning as much as you've actually put in, so you haven't yeah. won. No, you've, but, you've but just you think you've won. Recouped a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. people often get, uh, I guess, confused about gambling and think it's about winning money. Mm. But what's it really about? Oh. Uh, in the start, for me, I think it was I was bored a little bit. My I had a very good job. Uh, my husband has a very good job. Uh, we were very financially secure, so it was never about money for me because we were having overseas trips every year and having this lovely life, lovely home and all of those things. It was never about the money. 
but my husband sometimes would work long hours. I'd finish early during our quiet periods. I was in an industry where there was very busy periods and then the, it would be quiet. So I'd leave work early and what does an older lady do, you know? It's, no clubs open at four o'clock in the afternoon, but the venues are always open. So like I said, I thought that's a bit of fun. I'll go in there, I'll have a coffee. And yeah, and that that's kind of how it starts all of your children have moved out of home too. I think that plays a part. Like when I was younger and I have, I have three children, um, you know, there's always things to do. We've got to get home and do mm. washing and yep. cooking and you've got all these things to do. But, yeah, when I got older, I didn't have all the kids had moved out of home. So there was just me and my husband and I had time to kill, so pokey seemed a good... Distraction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Women often also talk about pokies venues as being feeling safe. Was that a feeling you had? Yes, I think I think that's true. Um, and I think part of that feeling safe is you get comfortable with your gambling. So you feel like you're in a safe space because you're almost not thinking about anything that's going on around you at all. So it's like you're in a bubble with your little machine that's making all these lovely noises and distracting you with their sounds. So I think that's part of part of it. Does that make any sense? It sounds yeah. a little strange, yeah. but yeah, I've, uh, other people I've spoken to have talked about. Um, you mentioned that the club was open early, but they mentioned that the club was open late. So if they sort of wanted to get out of the house, it was a safe place to go after hours. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. yes. But because I was a closet gambler I couldn't go out at night time right because yeah. then yeah. what am I going to say to my husband about what I'm where I'm going and why, why are you doing that <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah. That, that would raise some red flags yeah so I tended to do it and I engaged in some pretty crazy behavior towards the end you know lying and getting out of work early making excuses to get out of work early so I could go to a venue and get some serious gambling time in before it was time for my husband to get home. Mm. And um, But, yes, it is, a, it is a safe place. I mean, I, I'm not sure where else I would have gone to fill in that boredom or whatever um, shopping centres. Well, I guess there's only a certain amount of shopping you can do, and that has addictive issues in itself, I think. Yeah. Because I think I've actually been down that little path uh, when I look back. You know, with shopping, with yeah. a bit of retail therapy. Um, so yeah, pokies seem to be a good, a good fit. Safe option. Yeah, yeah good, <laughs> good fit for me. <laughs> okay. Well, so we might take a short break there. Um, I've got a song. This one is by the Moyer Sisters, and it's "Good Morning, How Are You."
by law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law. 6pm Tuesdays. Uh, welcome back. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR. 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, you can find them on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. Today I'm talking with Alison about compulsive gambling and her recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. Um, So Alison, we've talked about, you know, sort of, I guess, introduction to, to gambling and I guess some of the start. So would you like to talk a bit about where your gambling took you and the sort of problems that caused in your life? Yeah, look, um, mine was, it's quite a traumatic story. I'm quite still a bit (laughs) traumatised by it. uh, Gambling uh, led me down a very, very dark path. Um, um, I think I mentioned before I had a good job. And I had a lot of responsibility, but I also had access to money, uh, which I started to steal from my employer. Um, so that led to me losing my job. Um, and then one day, oh, it might have been six weeks, two months later, the I got arrested at home. I'd never been in trouble ever with the police before. So I was fairly um, confronting. I had a sneaking suspicion it was going to happen because my workplace had cameras. So, and I knew that. (laughs) So um, it still didn't deter me from taking money out of the, the registers. And it was just a horrible experience. Um, one of the things I'm forever grateful for, though, is how respectful the police were. 
I thought they were just marvellous. Uh, they certainly didn't treat me like a criminal. Um, and they were quite sympathetic to my story. What was interesting uh, about my arrest was it was the very first time I'd ever said out loud that I'm a gambling addict. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, I knew I was. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd never said it out loud to, to myself or to anyone else. Um, and I was very, very fortunate that... Um, when I faced court, um, they, I was treated with respect there also. It was my first, like I said, experience with anything like like this and I was put on a good behaviour bond. Um, I could have gone to jail though um, and that was just to even, even to think that. And what's horrifying about that experience for me is that that's not who I am. Mm. Oh, I never thought I was. No, no. I never thought I was that person yeah. who would steal, um, yeah. and yet I did it. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm getting a bit upset, yeah. sorry, yeah. <laughs> talking about it, because it was quite you know, a big thing. Yeah. Um, the people you let down, the lies, the lying that you do, not just mm. to yourself, mm. but the lies you tell others, um, the places that you work, your friends, all of these people who trust you and love you, you lie. And I think gambling is such an insidious, insidious illness. Um, I can't stress that, you know, that enough. Just how deep into a dark hole, you know, it can take you. People, you know, it's very difficult to talk about gambling addiction to people because I think people think well, you just stop doing it. You know, it's like you have this choice in it but yeah. it's hard to explain to people the compulsion to gamble what you will do to continue to gamble um, including stealing um, I never thought ever in my life that I would be that person but I did become that person this mm. person um, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror for the shame of it mm. and I think that's what makes it hard to seek help uh, with with this type of addiction? Yeah, um, you know the shame because I knew I needed to tell someone what I was doing because I couldn't stop myself. Mm. I literally could not stop mm. until the police came and arrested me. I could not stop gambling. Mm. Um, so you mentioned that you couldn't tell anybody. Was that that? there wasn't anybody you thought would not judge you that that would make it worse is that yeah yeah and i and i think there is something about saying it out loud mm. um even though you know it just to say it to another person as someone who trusts you i think i think that's why i couldn't say it to my husband a couple of times during my addiction i thought I need to just spit it out. I just need to say that mm. this is what it is and he can help me mm. and he would help me. Yes, yeah. you know that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. But it's just something in there, like I said, it, I think it's tied up in shame. It seems such a shame, particularly when you're stealing yeah. and you're lying and you're doing all of those things. It's not just gambling. It's all of the behaviour that 
Oh, it sounds like a bit of a cop-out when you say gambling made me do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think I, I would steal if I wasn't a gambling addict. Mm. You know, I, I've never stolen things but, you know, in the past uh, when I wasn't in the grip of this, you know, gambling addiction. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I wished I had of just spoken to someone, mm. said something. Mm. Well, I guess that's a good thing about places like Gambling and Gamblers Anonymous and other support things that now it's much more commonplace that people can actually reach out and talk about it, whereas yes. that's only happened in the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 years or so. Before that, yeah. it was really, there was nothing. Yeah. There's well, no, it wasn't a problem. No. What was the problem? Yeah. Everyone's right. gambling. It's, not, yeah. it's no problem. <laughs> Um, but but I do think, uh, you know, as a society, we don't want to be judged, um, and we certainly don't want to be judged poorly. But mm. you know, and I think going to a twelve step program, whether it's for gambling or alcohol addiction or any kind of addiction, there's no judgment. I think that's the big, the big thing when you first walk in the doors. It's they're not going to judge you. They've heard they're it. They're glad all. to see you. Yeah, yeah. They've heard it all before. And they've heard worse. <laughs> like I really did believe I was this aberration that normal people don't be do these things. Mm. You know, like it's ridiculous mm. to be stealing uh, to support. You know, a gambling uh, is yeah. You have to be to a gamble. criminal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I think it's very hard to accept. <laughs> yourself you know but when you go when you step into a 12-step program there's no judgment and you know just thank goodness for them that's all I can say Mm. really Um, you know if if you're having problems you need to you need to ask for help and seek help Mm. and talk about yes otherwise you'll well hopefully you'll never end up getting arrested in your Mm. home and lose your job and let people down. Mm. Um, but, yeah, in hindsight, just, yeah, I should have done it many years before I got got to this, mm. you know, or to then. Yeah. Um, I haven't gambled now for over five years, but it still feels fresh. Yeah. <laughs> still feels fresh. Yeah. So do you want to talk a bit about your husband's reaction to your arrest and the gambling? Yes, I I was petrified. I thought, you know, he's a very law-abiding citizen. Um, and I think that's what made it hard because he is a very uh, moral, morally correct kind of guy. Um, and I respect that about him. He, you know, he indicates in his car when he doesn't need to, you know, like he's just... <laughs> I call him the citizen, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway... So yeah, it, it was it was really hard. I was so frightened. I thought he is going to run a mile. He's going to think I'm a mm. lunatic. I'm going to run a mile from me. But he didn't. He was extremely supportive. Um, and that's the thing that I think has surprised me a little bit is how supportive people are. You think that people are going to judge you or think that, but they don't. Most people will go, "Well, you've got a problem. Now we've got to fix it." What yeah. are we going to do to fix it? Yeah. You know? How can we help? Yeah. 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 I, I think, and that, that really has impressed me. I don't know why I was so scared to admit it when 
actually my husband was very supportive. He still continues to be supportive. Mm. Um, and, yeah, there's all these people out there who are more than willing, even this program, there's mm. people who want to help. Um, yeah, so you need to give people a bit more credit for wanting to help. <laughs> That's right, yeah, give them the opportunity to help. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. So what was the first thing that started to help you in Gamblers Anonymous? What was the, the thing that I guess you were able to use early that gave you a bit of peace of mind? I think it's when people share their story, there's a real sense of hope that you can manage this. It's horrible and people have done all of these horrible things, not just you. It's not just you that's, you know, found yourself in these dark, awful places. Um, And other people who have been in the program a long time are moving on. They're so humble. They're so, like I said, willing to to help you and really wanting to help. Um, And you feel safe there. There is no judgment. Um, Because, like I said, I think it is difficult, uh, and people are sympathetic when you talk about gambling addiction, but I think only another gambling addict can really, really understand that compulsion that you have to gamble and the things that you would do to enable yourself to gamble um and yeah just that real sense of fellowship it's very hard hard to define it but the easiest way is just it's just a hope that yes people are living with this illness and moving on with their life and becoming better people um i think that's you know you get that as soon as you get in walk in that door that's yeah that's the vibe that's the vibe yeah Definitely. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is, <clears throat> you talked about your husband, but what was your kids' reaction? Was that... I've never told them. Okay. I touched on it with my youngest son, only because he works uh, somewhere where there are poker machines and he has played them. So I, I did say to him, you need to be really careful um, because they're not as... So just having that more of an educational talk of, around it. Yeah. But my two older, I I still can't tell them. Mm. Um, I've told only three people, mm. apart from those in the program. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. that's the funny thing about being in, in a fellowship that supports people with a similar problem to you is that they feel closer the, than family in yep. real terms and you have much deeper more meaningful conversations with these people, which sounds terrible, than you do yep. with your own family because particularly your family of origin, um, yes. it's very hard to tell backwards, if you like. Yeah. Um, yep. And so, you know, I've, I've got some really very close relationships in, in fellowship that yep. I have not had in any other aspect of my life apart from with my direct family you know, Yes. Now. And I think that's with the fellowship, not only do they help with your gambling, but even if you're just having a bad time of it, you you know you can say things in the rooms that will go no further. Mm. It won't be gossiped about. It won't be shared with others. It's, uh, you know, it is a safe place. 
to mm. say whatever you think, mm. even if you don't like your husband and you want to say that in a meeting. Yeah. It won't go any further. Yes. That's, that's probably extreme, but yeah. you know what I mean. Yes. You, you can say anything in these meetings and they're supportive in all aspects. Yeah, because it's about, it's about you and if you're happy and recovered, then it's best for everybody around you. Absolutely. That your recovery is that important, yeah. yeah. Yes, a member did say that one day to me. He's been married a very long time and he's been in recovery a long time and he has always said the the fellowship is the most important thing in my life because if I don't have the fellowship yeah, I and I don't have recovery, yeah. I don't have my family Yes, because they're not going to be around. No, no, that's right. That's, so yeah. He said it just kind of sounds a little selfish when you say, you know, <laughs> that the fellowship has to come first, but yeah. it it kind of does because without that, without recovery, yeah. Um, then, yeah, you're going to lose everything. Yeah. Well, it's like any treatment mm. process that the person doesn't, if you stop the treatment process, you don't get any better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, it's probably a good time to have another break. Um, <clears throat> I've got another song, uh, and this one's by a little, little River Band, and it's called Help Is On Its Way.
Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit emergency response service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Words out. Freedom of species has hit the airwaves. Tune in for debates and updates on both local and international animal protection news and events and learn about how you can live a cruelty-free, sustainable lifestyle. News, views and non-leather shoes. That's Freedom of Species, 1pm Sundays on 3CR. Authorised by the last few remaining kangaroos, Canberra. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Uh, This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And... We're talking with Alison, and we're talking about compulsive gambling and recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. Um, Alison, before the break, we were talking about family and breaking the, I guess, the, the addiction. Um, so the, one of the first things I want to talk about is t- when you stopped at that point, how easy was it for you to not start again? Look, it's really, really difficult you know, make no mistake, it's it, it's not easy to uh, recover from any addiction. I don't think it's a it's a learned behaviour, and you get into some habits fairly quickly. And it's you know you really do um, you know need to take a good hard look at yourself and reevaluate the things that make you happy and the things that don't make you happy, and then start making some serious changes in your life. Um, if you can, it's not always possible. I did uh, seek out uh, therapy as well for just some, you know, to deal with other other things from my upbringing or some of the dysfunction, I guess, in uh, my family. You know, I started to take, you know, a good look at myself, I guess. I think you have to. Um, if you don't change, nothing will change. And you'll just be in the same, you know, same black hole. Um, but it's not easy. It's and you do want to keep on gambling. Mm. Um, you know, you you miss it when you're not doing it because you have to fill your life all of a sudden with other things. Um, so you just got to seek out those things that you enjoy to do. In the first, in early recovery, a lot of it is just uh, abstinence just distracting yourself from wanting to gamble. So putting on a movie, reading a book, going to see someone, if you feel that overwhelming need that you need to get to a venue or whatever your gambling poison is, um, you know, I'll go and visit my brother or I'll go and I'll go and do this, you know, and just constantly trying to distract yourself from it. And then as you move further into the program, 
um, and kind of develop these new ways of living, you know, filling your days, I had an added issue that I was no longer working because I'd lost my job through gambling. So I had a lot of time, a lot of time to fill. And yet it, it's really difficult to, it was very difficult not to gamble in those those first while. And I think when you get stressed out, it's almost like you want to do it again, to gamble again. Um, That's the thing about it being a, a safe activity, that you can yeah. stop thinking about everything else. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, those machines, they make those lovely noises and they do all of these other things is very distracting and makes you feel a bit good and you're getting a bit of a dopamine hit, you know, if you get your little free spins or whatever it might be and, you know, therein lies the danger Um, because, you know, this idea that these machines are just fun, no, no, they're not. They are designed to... They're a business, yeah. Yep, Yep. they are designed to, you know, suck you in. Mm. Um, And some of us are very... Some people more than others are more vulnerable to that. Um, so you've got to be really aware, mm. I think. And But, you know, you go to meetings, you read the literature that you get from um, Gamblers Anonymous, and they will get you through. Um, you know, you, you do have to want to do it. Um, you do have to want to stop, no question. But, you know, Gamblers Anonymous will give you the tools. They'll give you the tools, they'll give you the ideas, they'll give you the sense of purpose a- around battling an addiction. Mm. Um, yeah, terrific 12-step yeah. programs. Yeah. So I just want to talk quickly about you came into Gamblers Anonymous probably um, a few years before COVID, and yeah. so you had a lot of face-to-face meetings, a lot yeah. of contact with people. Yeah. So how did you find the the moving online process I, I didn't enjoy it quite as much um there definitely were some benefits and it's certainly better than no you know no meetings at all mm. um and some people do like it more than others <laughs> i personally like the face-to-face um but i did i did zoom some meetings and you know it was terrific we were getting people from overseas uh yeah. from america from the uk uh, from different states, so you're hearing different stories. So it yeah. certainly had, yeah. you know, some benefits as well. Yeah. Because um, it seems to be universal. Uh, yeah. Gambling yeah. addiction. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Strangely just, enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other one is that um, I guess the, the trend towards more online gambling and things like that. So has that changed the nature of the people coming to GA? Definitely seeing a lot of uh, younger uh, men, particularly with sports betting, which is concerning. Um, uh, even five years ago, when I was first in the program, it was maybe you might get a third, a quarter to a third young men, and then it was spread over other, you know, horse racing or pokies, where I would say now it's eighty percent uh, young men uh, sports betting. Wow. On their yeah. phones, on yeah. their devices. So, yeah, it's uh, concerning. From, from, well, I think it's the mother thing coming out in me. You know, I feel very, yeah. you know, these poor young men just starting out in life and trying to battle. But, you know, at least they're coming. 
Yes, yeah. I guess there's, I guess two issues. One is the the prevalence of gambling um, advertising, and the yeah. fact that it's it's not only at sports events on TV. Um, it, it's on the the phone. It's in your feeds, if you like. Yeah. If, and people, you know, these gambling organisations also send you texts and emails and things like this to encourage your gambling. Yeah. So I guess yeah. it's it's becoming insidious in a way. It's yeah. predatory. Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> as, as a gambling addict, you know, you, you feel like you don't want to get up on your high horse and say, oh, you know, you can't, no one can gamble because, you know, a percentage of people have, you know, a gambling addiction. But some of the behaviour that I see now is, seems very predatory. Um, and, and I do have a problem with that, that it, it seems to be preying. And a couple of the ads that I've seen, you know, with betting with your mates and it's all this, I'm like, yeah, I just, I don't like it. No. <laughs> I don't like it. No, uh, particularly no. when they're invoking the peer pressure that it's very hard to stop if your mates are still gambling, that sort of thing, that That's once it. you're in, you, you can't get out. You're, that's it. You're letting them down. You know? yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. You've got to be there with your mates. Yeah. You know, be a man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, we'll all go to the pub and we'll all drink and gamble and we'll all have a nice time. Mm. Well, that's not how it, it ends up for a lot of these young men. You know, they're no. really struggling. Yeah. And it's hard. it is hard to watch mm. these young men. But the only thing that gives me, I guess, a sense of hope is that they are coming to meetings. Uh, which I wouldn't have done in my 20s. I wouldn't have had the maturity or the wherewithal to, to think about going to a 12-step program. Mm. So, But, you know, how much is out there that we don't see? Mm. Um, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a tough one, Bill, that one. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's Gambling is only a problem for a percentage of people. Yeah. But... It, it's trying to protect those small percentage from, pre, as you say, predatory behaviour is the, the big yes. issue. That yes. it's okay for people like me who can just go and have a, a bet and it doesn't, there's, no, there's no compulsion to keep on going. Yeah. Um, and I can see the ads and they just sort of roll off, yeah. roll off me. But if, that, if I had a problem and I was being presented with that barrage of information... Mm. It would be very hard, yeah. Yes, and I, and I have thought that because, you know, in the GA program we talk about triggers. There's triggers um, and often it's around talking about certain amounts of money, actual dollar values, yeah. and, you know, naming uh, places uh, that you can go to gamble can be triggers for people. Yeah. Um, you know, and the literature will say, you know, stay away from venues, stay away from, you know, the TAB, whatever, but for these young people, well, they'd have to throw away their phone mm. because they have got it 24-7 mm. in their face. Um, you know, I don't know how they manage because if, if I was presented constantly poker machines with their nice music that mm. I seem to like so much because the music is the trigger for me yep. and it's different for everyone. Yep. Uh, for me, it's the, the, the sound. Uh, that seems to trigger in me or I want to gamble. So if I was presented with that all day, I don't know how I'd manage mm. my addiction, to, mm. to be honest. Yeah. It's, mm. yeah. It is concerning, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, <clears throat> it's just about time, so I'll just read a quick um, 
intro about Gamblers Anonymous. Um, if anybody would like to find out more about Gamblers Anonymous, you can phone them in Victoria on 03 or you can go online at gaaustralia.org.au for more information on recovery from compulsive gambling and meetings. So that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Alison for sharing her gambling recovery story with us and talking about how Gamblers Anonymous has helped her. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bill. Terrific. It's a pleasure. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when our new Living Free presenter, Gabby, will be talking with a member of Alcoholics Anonymous about the impact of alcoholism on their life. Uh, coming up next, we have a summer special uh, in replace of Bellamois. So I hope you enjoy that. It is called Abolish the Monarchy. So I hope that's interesting to you. Uh, so thanks for listening. Uh, stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.